and welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. Well, let me introduce my interviewee for today, Richard Antonio. I know him from my parish. I think that's where I'm going to get a lot of my interviewees, but that's exactly the point. Other ordinary Catholics like me. So Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jenna. I'm, I'm really honored that you would ask my humble opinion on anything. <laughs> well, it's not so much opinion as um, experience of being a Catholic in this society. So, and particularly now, I want to say that it's one of the more difficult times in life for history. But on the other hand, I suppose that's what people said since the beginning of time. Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you come from, how okay. you got here to California, if you were native born, or whatever. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you already know, my name is Richard Antonio. I came from a roundabout way, okay, to Los Angeles. I was born and raised in Manhattan, and I was there throughout my formative years till about nine, 10 years old. And then because of asthma, my father decided to pack up the Cadillac and drive to South Florida, known <laughs> as the sixth borough of New York as well. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so I'm the eldest of six. I say six, uh, my mother had two miscarriages and uh, I'm the first born. So they always said to me, my parents always said, you have to set the example. And what kind of example do they want you to set? Yeah, I tried to do the best I could. Were you the, you may have just said, and I missed it, were you the eldest, the youngest? I am, I am the eldest. Uh, and, so, and so you had to set the example for them. Exactly. exactly. So any juvenile delinquents in the family? Uh, other than myself, no. <laughs> no, joking, joking. I know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we ended up uh, in, in South Florida, which was really a blessing for me, because that's really where I got a more formalized Catholic education. I went into a Catholic school. Oh, really? Into second grade. So second grade till Till seventh. From second to seventh. Yeah, and it was a whole new world for me. You know, having to wear a uniform, going to church, to masses, you know, in a class setting was something I Was really your family used. particularly religious? My, my mom and dad are very religious, but they didn't always go to church. Mm -hmm. So my grandparents would pray the rosary at night, and we would pray the rosary with my grandparents. You know, and at the time, I didn't really know or understand or grasp the full meaning of it. I just knew that it was family time. It wasn't until later that I realized, wow, they really planted some seeds that are, are now coming to fruition. So how did you get from Florida to Los Angeles? So then I went back to, um, I'm an actor by trade, so I went back to, get to, that too. Uh, to drama school in New York, in Manhattan. Which one? Uh, Lee Strasberg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, that was fun. Uh, I found, again, that I was one of the few practicing Catholics <laughs> in drama school. So that was interesting. That set a, uh, I wouldn't say obstacle, but some challenges. How would you describe the challenges? Well, being that it's very, it's a very secular setting and I don't, I don't want to say totally hedonistic, but there is uh, an embrace of free will at all times. You mean Fol the exercise of free, free will at all the time? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Follow your every impulse and desire, <laughs> which is okay on stage. It's just separating that from your personal life. 
did you find that it affected your making friends among other actors and actresses? I would say I gravitate towards a certain sensibilities. There are certain common sensibilities mm -hmm. that I gravitate towards. Well, I guess we're kind of talking about common ground um, of how to integrate the faith into your life and life into your faith. Yeah, which is a balancing act. And particularly so in modern society. Yeah. So how long were you at uh, the Strasbourg School? Well, like two and a half years, yeah. But prior to that, you know, I had training also with um, the actor's studio. So again, you know, I found myself to be one of the few practicing Catholics. But there are Catholics among us. I know. It's just a lot, I would say a lot are anonymous. We should talk about that later, about whether, well, maybe I'll talk about it in another program, the in the concept of evangelization, do do we should we be anonymous? Should we be more out there so that people know that we're Catholic? But that's a, a big question for perhaps another program, and you can come back and talk to me about it. Be happy to. Yeah. So, what church did you go to in uh, New York when you were there? I went to a couple of churches, but my favorite, I have to say, is uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral. Oh yeah. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. As people know who listen to this program, and also one of our prior interviewees was Candy Azara who's also from New York, she's right. from Brooklyn, right. and also I think went to uh, the Strasbourg uh, Actors Studio and uh, so had the opportunity to do the same thing. But uh, St. Patrick's is one of my favorites. I also grew up in New York, as, as I was about to say, and so yes, yeah, St. Patrick's is such a beautiful place. Have you been back since they fixed it? I have been back, <laughs> and now they have huge, big screens on most every wall. I didn't know that. Yeah. So you can see up close. Yeah, I hadn't been there the since uh, 2017, so I don't think they had the screens then, but they had just done the work outside the church to reveal what the actual stone looked like when it was first built. And then the inside, they made it so much more light. It, it, it's now you can see everything. It used to be such a dark church, but beautiful, but dark. Uh, there was another one, uh, St. Joan of Arc. That's that's in Queens. Oh, okay. I that's don't recognize it. I'd go there every so often. St. Joan of Arc, my mother and, and my grandmother had a special attachment to St. Joan of Arc. So I'd like to uh, play ho pay homage to her. We're in New York. When are we coming to California? <laughs> so California, I've been here since 2004. Okay, not that yeah. long, really. Well, 16 years. <laughs> yeah, it does go by fast. And what made you come out here? Uh, the business, yeah, the industry, entertainment. And, you know, something so interesting, I was a bit apprehensive, preoccupied with where am I going to find a church. And lo and behold, like three blocks away from my apartment, St. Ambrose Catholic Church. And they had this beautiful mass every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. Every morning. So I'd go to this mass at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I started just meeting all kinds of nice, quality Catholics that were also in the industry. Right. There are a few churches in uh, Los Angeles that you don't realize are, are places where industry people go. When I first got here, uh, the church that was, and I came here in 1981, so a long, long time ago, the church that was the most well-known was Good Shepherd in Beverly Hills. And that's where I thought all the celebrities went. And I didn't go there. So I was surprised to find that places like St. Ambrose in our parish, which is uh, St. Victor in West Hollywood, 
which I have mentioned before that that's the parish we all go to. It's a small, small parish, but an incredibly warm and pretty one. Then found out that there were so many celebrities who went to that church, most of them now long gone. People like Ricardo Montalban and Loretta Young and Vincent Price. Yeah, and you would actually you could go to Mass and you go, ah, uh, that's Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't go there for that. But that's nice. So St. Ambrose, actually, one of the things I like about St. Ambrose is that there's a mural at the very front of the altar. Yes. I think it's one of the best representations of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because they kind of, they're distinct and they merge. Yeah. And it's a beautiful mural. So how long did you go to, to St. Ambrose? You know, I still go there because it's near, it's my first parish, my okay. first official parish in Los Angeles. So I still go there. At least on a Sunday, I'll go to the evening mass there. I, I lecture there and uh, sometimes I'll altar serve on, on occasion, you know, and I greet. It's a really nice community. I met you at St. Victor though. So how at did St. you Victor's. happen to go there? So I'm like a church mouse. Wherever there's a Catholic church, there you will find me, depending <laughs> on the time of day and the location. So if I don't make the morning mass, I will go to an afternoon mass. If I don't make an afternoon mass, I will go to an evening mass. Every parish that's within, I'd say 10, 15 mile radius of where I live, I'll go there. Which you get to by bicycle, it appears. I love to bicycle, yes. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen you in a car. Yeah, I love bicycling. <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, St. Victor is, again, where I met you, and you do some lecturing there and some serving there as well, uh, which is wonderful. And so tell me how you've made the integration between being an actor and being a Catholic, and as you described it, a church mouse, which in this society is not always given a great deal of praise. Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, at some point... It was a, a subtle transition within myself. I realized that this is who I am. You know, this is really, if, if something's going to define me, it's going to be my faith in Jesus Christ and practicing my religion. In the beginning, I was a bit apprehensive because I thought, well, I'm being judged and I can't be a hypocrite because they're gonna think, the rest of the world's gonna think, oh, that's what a Catholic does if I wear my faith on my sleeve, if that makes any sense. And then I realized also that, uh, you know, being Catholic, it's not that you're perfect. We're not, we're not perfect. But I strive to follow Christ's path. You know, that's what I strive for. So I just totally embraced the fact that I'm imperfect and yet I'm striving to be more like, like Christ. And people can judge that if they want to judge that. But uh, I've found that most often than not, people are interested in the way of life and what it really means if you just embrace it and show it to them. You Have know. you ever had someone come up to you and say, tell me more about your being Catholic? Yeah, I, I, I have. So one of the things that I, I do is, you know, when you're on set, you, you have a lot of downtime and you want something good to read. So I would bring my Magnificat. And so I'm reading my Magnificat. Tell people what which the is Magnificat a, it's, is. It's a daily prayer book, which has a lot of good history in it, meditations, reflections, the daily readings of the Mass, Psalms, poems. It's, it's good reading. And it also has artwork in it, which is nice. I've gotten so much education from art just reading the Magnificat. But so people ask me, so what are you reading? 
naturally. So I'll show them the book, and then that leads to a conversation. And would you say that anyone was moved to become a Catholic? God was using me as an instrument mm -hmm. to plant the seed. A lot of people, you know, like myself, I've never really fallen away from the faith, but I didn't always go to church. I always believed, I always had the deep-seated belief, if something went awry, I would cross myself and I would start to pray. But I didn't always go to church on Sundays for a period of time because maybe I was too busy doing something else. You know, I wasn't really a priority. Do you think that as time has passed, and you do go to Mass regularly now? Yeah, basically I, I'm, I'm a daily Mass goer. Good. So what you discovered is what about the importance of the Mass so that no matter how busy you were, you went? How did that happen? Yeah, the benefit, the benefit of it was that it centered me. It just, now I feel like, you know, I have to eat three meals a day. I like to exercise on a regular basis. And I have to pray and receive communion on a daily basis. It's just, it's part of me. It's, it's part of my nature now. It's become my nature. In other episodes, both the ones that I do myself and the few that I interviewed others about the faith, we've talked about communion and why that's so important to us. Because lots of folks think, that's just very odd. You know, what's, what's the big deal? So why receiving the Eucharist is so important to you? The Eucharist is the living embodiment of Christ. And to have God reside within me, it just gives me such peace. It gives me strength and uh, appreciation. Sometimes I used to walk around waiting to be happy. Okay, if X happens, I will be happy, content, and fulfilled. Receiving communion is better, in my opinion, than winning an Academy Award. God has chosen me and shares this with me. He's elected me to be a part of the banquet of his life. What more? I don't need anything more. There isn't anything more that I need. I'm content and fulfilled with that. That's particularly interesting, given the profession that you're in, where most people who go into the profession, I shouldn't really say most people, but a lot of people who go into the profession, the whole idea is exactly the other. Happiness will be given to me if I become famous, if I'm well known, if I'm interviewed on you know, Stephen Colbert. That almost makes you a paradox, because you are pursuing acting still. You mm -hmm. care about it. Why acting, by the way? Let's just sort of digress a little bit. Well, I'm a creative person. I like to express myself. Uh, I also, having read now St. John Paul II's letter to the artist, that uh, it's a very noble endeavor and, and profession to be able to collaborate with God, to move people, to touch people, to heal people through the work of, of the art. It's just very fulfilling. I suspect a lot of people, Catholic and non-Catholic, don't know that St. John Paul II began or hoped at one point to be an actor or thought about being an actor. He's actually, amazingly enough, he was not only an actor, but he was a writer and a play director. Right, he wrote a book called The Jeweler's Workshop, I think. Was you know, the name I, don't, of it? I don't know the name of it right offhand, but yes, he was certainly an artist. And he certainly was a matinee idol when he was very young. He's he was very a very handsome. good-looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's so that it just goes to show that 
there isn't any aspect of our lives that can't merge if we allow it to happen with our faith. Indeed. In, in fact, our faith informs, in my opinion, in my experience, my faith has informed my art and my life. And they, they've merged to where now it's inseparable. Well, let's just do a little practical stuff here more secular yes can you tell us what you're working on anything you're interested in now you know that... as, as you know due to the pandemic right. nobody's doing anything yeah and a, a lot of projects that i had on the horizon have been postponed mm. delayed or have evaporated which again if it wasn't for my faith i would be very anxious about i take it in stride i know that i'm doing the best that i can and as long as i continue to do that i'm going to be fine of course, there are things that I'm still developing. I'm also writing and developing a screenplay. Oh, you're a writer as well. You're yeah. not just an actor. See, sure. I didn't, didn't know that. Yeah, screenplay and a television series. But as of now, you know, those things are secondary to me. If it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, I'm okay. Right, because the most important thing is your faith and the Lord. Precisely. Yeah. So it's almost, people will say though, and I've asked this of others, people might say that faith, whether it be Catholic or other faith, is really a crutch and that it's not, it's something that a strong person doesn't really need. How do you respond to that if anyone ever says that to you? Being strong, you are willing and open to be vulnerable. And the best thing that any artist or any human being can do in life is to be vulnerable, to be able to embrace what is perceived as weakness. You know, that's what a true artist will do. In my experience, again, I can only speak, you know, to my experience, when people put this semantic twist that it's faith is, is a crutch, if that's the way that they see it, I don't argue with them mm -hmm. about whether it's a crutch or not. I know that, that for me, it makes me a stronger person, a stronger human being, a more empathetic person. I mean, just all of the benefits of having a faith. I don't see any liabilities about being dependent upon God. I am dependent upon God, upon Christ. Because we're all creatures. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I don't have any qualms about calling that out. And when suffering comes, which it always does to all of us, how does that play into all of your views of faith? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. You know, before my development, my maturation in, in faith, I'd be apt to say, well, why is this happening to me, God? Because, you know, I'm following your words and your rules, and I'm still, you know, suffering. And then I was talking to a priest, and a priest told me, the most innocent person ever in existence suffered, and that's Christ. So if you are called upon to suffer, you are more Christ-like. And I wrestled with that for a very long time, for a very long time. And now I've come to understand that. It's a blessing for me. And I've had this, and I grew up with asthma, and that's very difficult to not know if you're going to be able to catch your next breath. It's very, very difficult. So I know suffering. I know suffering. I know painful suffering and of course you know that might not compare to somebody else's suffering but I'm, I'm aware of what it's like to suffer physically and there were times where I just found a little bit of redemption or a little bit of satisfaction a little bit of safety 
just being able to pray for a few moments. And somehow or another, that pain, that anguish would leave. I uh, kind of, not envy you, because that's a, that actually a sin. <laughs> but I kind of, I've kind of amazed at that and um, aspire to that. Because I have found, particularly with physical suffering, and sometimes with emotional suffering that we all have in our lives at Absolutely. one point or another, that I have a hard time reaching for prayer at that point. It's almost as if a, a little, not a wall, but it's like maybe maybe I should be more athletic. It's like a hurdle is there, and I'm not quite willing to jump over it or able to jump over it. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I certainly aspire to because the essence of our faith is that Christ suffered for us so that our suffering would be transformed by dying and his rising. And so, in a way, the only way to eternity is to suffer. That is the only way. We do it anyway, but now it has a purpose as opposed to being just completely meaningless, which it was prior to the act of redemption. But I still, I still have trouble with it because sure. my first thought isn't, why is God doing this to me? Because I don't think that. But I just so preoccupied with the moment of, of, of suffering that I almost, it's like I can only concentrate on one thing at a time. And I'm not concentrating on how God is giving me grace or strength or teaching me something. Sure, and that, that makes perfectly good sense. Sometimes, I just want to clarify that, it's not till after the event, ah. okay, that you have... The understanding you're able to use I'm able to use that moment of suffering pain doubt whether it's emotional or physical and transform and transcend okay so it is more of a uh, sequential thing than than an immediate moment it's a struggle in the moment it can be both it can be both yeah absolutely well let's go on to a real struggle that we're all having mm. and that is this pandemic that has been going on for six months, has that presented any particular challenge? And and has there been some difference in how you've responded to it as a Catholic? Or is it just part of the same path? Yeah, with this COVID-19, we see it's brought out the best and the worst in our society and in the world. So I remember early on when COVID first started, we were able to go to church and there were a lot of things that we weren't aware of. Science had not revealed all of these things that it now has revealed. So I would say to the priest, Father, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I'm able to come to daily mass, I don't know what type of frame mind I would be in or emotional state I would be in with all these other restrictions. And then lo and behold, what happened? It felt like I got punched in the gut. I didn't see it coming. No more church no more mass they closed the churches down and I thought to myself good gosh this can't be right you know and then slowly I understood so I can continue and I do praying at home finding other friends that I can have fellowship with that are also believers you know so we so we would do that and I found that um, it actually strengthened my faith it strengthened my faith because I was being challenged and I saw that, that God was laying down a set of challenges for me to overcome for a particular reason. And that was to strengthen my faith. And of course now in the last, I don't know, several weeks, 
and losing track of time, we've been able to do outside mass. So at least at St. Victor, we are able to do one in our basketball court, which is attached to the school that's not currently in session. So we're right. able to do it. Right. And, and that has been an interesting experience. Can you, how has that been for you? Yeah, you know, it's a beautiful setting. I'm privileged enough to be asked by our pastor to help serve Mass. So I altar serve and, and I lecture and I greet. And I can't tell you how many people from other parishes have come and said this is such a beautiful setting on a basketball court, you know, with social distancing right. and everybody wearing masks. Right. But the air is running, the breezes run through, the trees are swaying. You know, the sound of the siren and construction and lawnmowers and leaf blowers. And the hummingbirds. And the hummingbirds as well. <laughs> you know, and somehow Christ is still present and we're able to partake in the sacrament and have, again, that fellowship. It's a, such a beautiful experience. There was a, a funny uh, cartoon that I saw on Facebook. It raises the, the danger of the outside mass as well as the glory of it. The danger of it is the same danger as with the people watching Mass at home, is that there's a tendency to become a little informal. So, for example, uh, at people who watch the Mass at home were saying, well, I can watch it on my favorite chair and put my arms behind my head and just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this cartoon was essentially, it wasn't a Catholic specifically cartoon, but it applies to everybody. It was a picture of a woman coming to her service, and you have the the people on both sides in their formal out their outfits, and she's in her robe and her fluffy slippers and a cup of coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I remember thinking when I go to mass and even when I watch mass here to try to create a sort of a reverent atmosphere. Absolutely. Because otherwise, there is a tendency to forget what's happening even in the beautiful outside. So I don't know how you how you thought about that because you really do like it outside and I'm not trying to dissuade you, just that are you aware of that danger? To be honest with you, I have seen <laughs> less as opposed to more of that. I think that um, most people, once you walk onto that court where the Good. space is really designated, are reverent. Once in a while, somebody may when you see the surrounding everyone else is being reverent it quickly fades that I have quickly to agree fades with that. certainly it, it uh, in our place yeah. there's a and we have it's kind of interesting because you're severing spaces you know separating spaces we have these little um, poles that sort of make the space truly a segregated space where everybody is and it's just for this and there is, and even in front of the altar, there's a careful space between the seated people and the altar. And yes, I agree. We've, we've done very well with that. Everyone is extremely, um, is extremely reverent. And also, we've been very lucky. We've had a lot of ushers who are very good at doing all the, you know, the, the, the safety things, the sanitizing, sure. yeah. making sure people sit separately, making sure people are wearing their masks. Yeah. And, uh, and I have to say, everyone has been incredibly congenial. Indeed. I think a lot of people have risen to the occasion. We understand sometimes, like you've heard this a million times, you don't know what you have until you lose it. And I see now people are putting more effort into their celebration of Mass. Because for a while we did not have it. And I could imagine like during World War II when people were being persecuted 
for practicing their faith. They had to do it in seclusion and in secret. You know, I could I can now relate to that mm-hmm. a little more. So it's much more. It's heightened my awareness and my reverence. And I think I'm not the only one when I say that. No, I, I think you're right. I, I, I think there, you know, there are, as always with human beings, there are two sort of levels of how people operate. But I agree with you, and I have noticed that because uh, I also uh, lecture at the twelve fifteen, and I have noticed uh, that people, particularly since occasionally some come from other parishes, and obviously we we'd have to turn people away if we had too many. But we've been lucky to have just the right number. Uh, but I've noticed that people almost seem to be absorbing the the mass in a different way. I watch the faces to the extent I can. The right. eyes. It's interesting. You notice people's eyes more. Yes. So it's a uh, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing sense of the purposefulness of people showing up at a time when people are in some ways are being discouraged from being religious. I see what you're saying and. I see that people are more dependent. Their need to rely and depend on Christ has heightened, mm-hmm. has increased. So it's got a greater, deeper meaning for them. It's an interesting thing because it's both a dependency, which of course, as creatures, we are dependent to our very existence on God. Sure. But it also provides a strength. It's, it's dependency and strength. It gives us the ability to survive because we know about the nature of suffering, we know about the nature of sacrifice, and we are living it, attempting to live it in these moments during this COVID and all the other things that are happening around us, which seem to be enormous. Indeed they are. Yeah. So what's next for you? You're going to stay at St. Victor's and at St. Ambrose, or you yeah, no, I, absolutely. no plans to leave the country or the state? Well, even, even if I wanted to, you can't. You know, it's very difficult to. You know, I, I think I've shared with you before, my parents live on the East Coast. Right. So for me to go visit them oh, you right. know, is very challenging. Very right. challenging. Do they, st- they still have the 14 day quarantine? They do. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. I'm staying put. You're not getting rid of me yet, Jenna. Okay, well, that's good. I don't (laughs) want to get rid of you. I'm glad. Well, I think we have come to the conclusion of our, which is about a half-hour interview. We might have to do this again. Yes, and it'll be fun. And, you know, tell your friends about Ordinary Old Catholic Me, that they can listen and find out what it's like to just be a regular person. I love shows about you know famous theologians and people who've written books and maybe i'll be lucky enough to get a couple of book writers here at one day but the whole point is that we are all of us just regular people living our lives and trying to live our lives in the faith of christ so indeed thank you so much richard for being here my honor my pleasure thank you so much jenna for asking me see you in church see you in church Thank you for coming to hear another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. Tell your friends. Like my page, which is Ordinary Catholic Me on Facebook, and also become a follower on the podcast. See you next week.